Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode number 21 of the Modern Classroom Project podcast. My name is Kareem Farah. I'm the co-founder and CEO of the Modern Classrooms Project. And today, we have an exciting episode and a couple exciting guests. We're going to be focusing on the idea of building effective learning communities, how educators and school leaders can actually share this model with their colleagues and cultivate a community of adult learners that are learning this model and planning to roll it out with their students. So my two guests today are an educator and instructional coach at an awesome high school in Tennessee who have done a great job learning the model themselves and then building energy at the school level around the model to have a lot of implementers in the same building with a common understanding of the goals of our blended self-paced mastery-based instructional approach. So I'm going to go ahead and start by introducing Chris Gumpton and Joy Patton. And Chris and Joy, if you both could just start with introductions and just share a little bit more about your backgrounds in education and the roles you play at Renaissance High. So Chris, why don't we just go ahead and start with you. Tell us a little bit about yourself, You know what you teach and how long you've been in education for. Okay. I've been in education for, this is my 10th year. I spent six years as a math and science teacher and then three as a student support specialist. And now I guess I'm in my 11th year. I'm in my second year uh, where I serve half time as a science teacher and half time as assistant principal for a small high school. Fantastic. And Joy, can you share a little bit more about your role at the school in the district? Well, I am an instructional coach, and I get to support teachers in all things. And this year, teachers need a lot of support. So it's been a really, really great position to be in. And I really love supporting the teachers at Renaissance. I was a teacher myself at Renaissance for six years. And so this year, I've been transitioning into the coach role, and it's just been a really great experience. Awesome. And Joy, can you elaborate a little bit more on Renaissance as a school? Is there anything unique about the school? Like how big is it? How many teachers are at the school? What student population do you serve? Um, Our school is very unique in that it's an out-of-zone choice school. So anyone in our district can apply to come to our school. And we only have about 170 students. Uh, We have three CTE academies that we focus on apps, art, and audio. So we attract some of those students that kind of think outside the box that don't quite fit the um, mega assembly line, everybody gets the same thing kind of education and some larger schools. And since we're a smaller school, we're really able to personalize what we do. We're very innovative. Our staff likes to try new things. You know, I tell people all of the things that people say would make education better. We're just crazy enough to try them. So, and small enough. And I think that that makes a big difference in what we're able to do. So we were already doing standards-based grading. We did a lot of project-based learning. Um, I worked for a couple of years to in- introduce something called Innovation Lab, where we let students create passion projects and mentor them through that process. So we really are looking for students who need what we have to offer. And uh, we just want to love on them and welcome them into a little bit smaller classroom format. And so we have a really small staff too. We only have uh, like 16 or 17 faculty and we all get to know each other really well and collaborate. And it's honestly one of the best places to work. That's fantastic. And that does provide a lot of context for us, particularly because you are all, you are at a small school and there's also a natural sort of liking towards innovation. You know, some of the listeners probably work at schools that are very large and are trying to build their own little learning community. And in some ways, it sounds like the school itself is its own little learning community. So that's fantastic. So 
Let's start back when you all actually learned this model and got exposed to the model. Now, I got introduced to you, Chris, through our Summer Scholars program, where you had gone through that program and and had been paired with one of our mentors and got support there. But can you explain how you were introduced to the model in the first place and what that actually looked like at Renaissance? Absolutely. Well, Dr. Bass, um, being the leader of such a a group of innovators, had been looking for how do we overcome um, the disruptions that COVID was causing being out of school all of fourth quarter last year and knowing that there was some chance of having quarantines or remote learning happening and was looking for ways to deal with that. And he ran across the free modern classroom PD session. And so he reserved some of his PD time for teachers preparing for the following year to do the free version and made that part of our PD time. So every teacher in the building went through that modernclassroom.org process and when I was doing it, I it made a good fit for what I was trying to do in my classroom and where I wanted to be. And I was so excited about it that I applied to, to keep going into the scholar program that you mentioned you and I had met through. Perfect. And to clarify, Dr. Bass is the principal of Renaissance? Of course. I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, no, you're good. No, I just wanted to clarify. I've, I've heard his name before, obviously. But so that makes a lot of sense. And we see this quite frequently across schools and districts. I was actually just reaching out to a school district today because we looked at our free course. There were 500 teachers from the same district there. And we obviously made the assumption at the modern classrooms level that, you know, someone at the admin or the district level had encouraged all the educators to go through the free course. Now, Joy, I'm assuming you had a similar kind of engagement initially with the program, right, which is that you went through the free course as well when Dr. Bass pushed it out? Yes, that's exactly right. When I knew that I was going to be shifting into that instructional coach position, um, and even before when I was a teacher, I started looking at it and exploring it. And so then I fully came on board and and dip my toes into it for sure. Perfect. So Chris, you're learning the model. You're actually getting structured support through our scholarship program. Joy, you're at the instructional coach level and you're immersing yourself in the free course. You all are clearly understanding the model and liking the model. Can you all explain now this journey of getting it into other teachers' hands and more importantly, actually facilitating the implementation of the model, what supports did you all try to create at the school level? I mean, I understand that every teacher had gone through the free course, but there's a huge difference between, you know, going through the free course and actually seeing a number of teachers implemented in your classrooms. Can you articulate what that journey was like and some of the steps you took to take this model seriously and actually create an environment where implementation was going to happen? I think for me, the very first thing was understanding it well enough to implement inside my own classroom. I didn't want to start teaching it before I had, um, I didn't get to experience it with students, but I wanted to experience developing a full unit and understanding the challenges that that had. Because through going through that process, I better understood what our teachers were going through. It's a huge time commitment to transition. You, You can't go on the fly. You have to have things mapped out. And so the first step for me to understanding it was to do it myself and build that process so that I had a more intimate understanding with it. Um, And that's when I reached, once I had a good understanding of the pieces, that's when I reached out because Joy is amazing at how to share that in a bigger scope. 
Love that. And Joy, talk to me about that process. Um, I obviously have experience having seen some of Chris's work through our scholar program. You know, it was fantastic. But I want to hear as well from you about what it's like then to say, okay, how are we going to facilitate this learning across a number of teachers? What steps did you take to do that? Well, I looked at what Chris had done for her classroom and also really loved it. And it just gave me a different context. I was coming from an ELA perspective. So I kind of brought that humanities understanding and Chris brought the more math and science understanding. So together we really make this great team where we can think about it in different subject areas, which was also really beneficial for our staff. And I don't know about you, but as a teacher, I've been in a lot of PD where um, my favorite is when they lecture at you and say, well, this isn't how we want you to teach it, but this is just the fastest way for us to get information. So we're just going to lecture. And I didn't want to be that kind of coach or trainer for PD. And I also wanted to really get into the model to really understand it. You have to get into it and do it. So I went to Chris and I said, hey, what if we did the PD in a modern classrooms format? So we used all of the tech tools that are approved in our district. We used all the tech tools that our teachers were going to be using. We got our feet in them and played around with it and really modeled the PD after a modern classroom. So each hour was like a different check line, a different deadline or point. And it, it wasn't so much about learning modern classrooms, but it was to help facilitate them in creating materials for their classrooms too. And then at the end of it, I really wanted them to experience it as students with our particular students in mind. Sometimes our students don't fit the norm. They're not really motivated by grades. So I said, teachers, when you look at this from our students' perspective, you know, what, how, how does it feel? How does that public progress tracker feel? That was one of the pieces that we were really curious about. And I wanted to get their feedback on it. And I wanted them to understand some of the things that helped them as students and some of the things that were hindering to them as students. So even though our PD wasn't perfect, I really wanted them to kind of experience it on the other side, not just the teacher side. And it was great for me too, because getting into it, I realized exactly how time consuming it was to create videos and do all of that and all of the different shifts and moves that our teachers were going to have to make. And it was really great to go through those kind of before they did. And I love that for a couple of reasons. One, I mean, you're talking to an organization that could not agree with you more about poor delivery of professional development. I mean, everything we have built now is designed modern classroom style for that reason, of course, because it's just sort of horrifying to think about how often we don't actually, we don't really emulate what we want to see out of professional development. Um, now, there's a second piece to this, which I think is really, really interesting, which is that so often folks think that this model should only be used on students, as if the only way to do the modern classrooms model is if you're using it with K-12 students. But I think, Joy, what you're talking about here is the idea that the teachers are adult learners and you can use this model with adult learners. I mean, we see this with adult learners that we actually partner with across the country. We see you know, educators who are teaching at the college level, teaching students that are over 18. But what you're describing is actually just transforming PD around this structure, which I think is really, really interesting. Yes, I think I would do, I would definitely do more PD in modern classroom style. I will definitely say that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And one thing that we'll put in the show notes is in our exemplar units, you can actually see 
Um, but one of the sections of our exemplar units is teacher-facing PD. Um, so it's actually this idea of, hey, if you're an instructional coach or assistant principal, director of professional development, you can go through our program as well and redesign professional development through the lens of the Modern Classrooms Project model and really emulate what our course looks like at the onset. So that's really fascinating. So well, first, let's talk about timing. When was this happening? Was this happening at the beginning of the school year, at the end of last school, school year? When did you all start to roll this out uh, to teachers? So the free portion happened spring of last year, um, and and some of them bled over into the summer. And then Joy and I developed the PD over the summer, and it was one of the kickoffs on those coming back to school uh, professional development days. Got it. So this was happening on one of these like sort of pre-service weeks where teachers are now going through the professional development that Chris and you, Joy, crafted together through the lens of our model to really help facilitate implementation. Did I have that right? Yes. And I think you need to understand, too, though, because our teachers and this was part of the reason why Dr. Bass introduced it at the beginning of the summer, because he knew it would take time. Um, some of our teachers came to our professional development already having started their videos, already setting up their courses, like already trying to wrap their head around a lot of it. You know, that's interesting. I think people don't realize how much professional learning teachers do over the summer um, on their own accord. And this kind of speaks to it. I mean, when we saw our free course, you know, hundreds of teachers were joining our free course a day in June, July, and August. Because teachers truly, I mean, it sort of like completely eliminates this idea that somehow teachers don't work over the summer. And <laughs> I think it's really interesting that Dr. Bass pushed this out at the beginning of the summer and said, hey, immerse yourself in this when you have time so that you come more prepared at the beginning of the school year. That probably set the stage for the PD that you all ran pretty well, which I think is great. It also provided an opportunity to look at how the approach deals with differentiation, because when we came into the PD, um, we had paired up with the Alternative Learning Center, and, and they were in different places. We we had people that hadn't were fresh hires and hadn't even heard of Modern Classroom, and we had people that pretty much had their first and second unit almost developed. And so part of our challenge was to make it a meaningful day for both of those groups of people and, and we were able to do that through differentiation of if you can get through this fast, this is where you go. If you're if this is your entry point, this is what you're doing. It's amazing how like I, I get like butterflies in my stomach and they're not good butterflies when I think about these all day PDs, um, because I remember sitting through so many of them that were so incredibly ineffective. So it's fantastic to hear that you all were proactive about taking that approach. I think that that's amazing. Now, let's go ahead and dig into how this was actually received by the teachers. Because, you know, when we train teachers, it's usually an opt-in model, right? Where, you know, teachers decide whether they want to, you know, mess around with a cool and innovative instructional model or whether they're going to stick with sort of the approach that they currently take. Now, it sounds like your school has an inherent sort of liking towards innovation at the onset, which is obviously creates a nice set of conditions to, to push this model out. But Joy and Chris, can you both share a little bit about some, sort of what were some of the educators' reactions initially? both positive and sort of the pushback you all received. Can you all talk a little bit about that narrative? And Joy, feel free to go first, and then Chris, you can chime in. It was across, like, it, it varied. We And I took a survey, of course, at the beginning and at the end of our PD as well for our beginning and ending kind of mastery checks or to gauge the learning. And at the beginning, I, it is fair to say that most people were on board at the beginning. 
And some of those stragglers by the end, the stragglers had fallen off and they were on board as well and willing to try. Um, and I also remember there was one who just sat there and just got overwhelmed and just was, uh, had a hard time wrapping his head around all of it. It just seemed like so much. And, and he just kind of pushed back a lot, but I'm going to tell you that teacher has turned out to be one of the best implementers of modern classroom in our whole school. So even the ones that give that initial pushback a little bit, they, they can come around too. So and don't be discouraged by that, you know, let teachers go at their own pace and just support them where they're at along the way. And that just happens through conversations. When I look at the feedback on the survey that we had at the end, the teachers just really appreciated some of the templates that we had and taking the time to like make a progress tracker. A lot of them are still using that. They just took what I put in the PD on my whim of just throwing it together. And they've actually liked how it works. And so it works. And the ones that didn't like that, they modified it or tried something else and have shared that. So it's just a, a real work in progress. And some of the teachers, it was interesting to watch them because we kept a really fast pace, like every hour was a different deadline. Um, it was overwhelming for some. And I just wanted to take that opportunity to even say, that's how it's going to feel for some of your students. And what do we need to do for your students to be able to um, get through that and to be able to be successful? Yeah, that's really, really interesting. Chris, can you talk a little bit about the specific types of pushback you encountered through this process? What were some of the sort of things people were saying, particularly from the folks who were feeling overwhelmed initially? I, I think it was mostly the time commitment. Uh, the other thing that I, I think we've gotten pushback a few times with is some teachers felt like if I'm not lecturing, if, I, if, if I'm not entertaining, I'm not building relationships. And so a couple of people felt that that going from the, the more traditional model to using videos and electronics um, was was taking away some of that human interaction. That part didn't evolve until they started seeing that you could build relationships one on one while other people are watching the videos. And and I'm a strong introvert, so I do so much better when I get to be one on one or one on three with my students than when I feel like I have to perform for 25, 30 kids. Well, and I mean, you bring up a point, Chris, that we talk about so often, which is the misconception around where learning happens. This notion that if you're performing the sort of lecture as the educator, that's often what we think about when we think about teaching and learning. But that doesn't have anything to do with student learning and everything to do with teacher action. And what I think you're describing is this idea of getting past this hump, this sort of antiquated notion that somehow teaching looks like a performance where kids are watching it and then doing something afterwards and kind of assuming that that's high quality teaching and learning and is the best way students are going to build relationships because it's a pretty odd leap to make initially, right? Like why would we make the assumption that somehow standing at the front of the room and talking to a whole bunch of people at once is the better way of building relationships than kids having a little bit more control of the learning environment and you working closely? Intuitively, that makes perfect sense. It sort of speaks to how much that traditional approach to teaching has really been ingrained in educators and in students. So I think that that's fascinating. Now, I want to isolate one concept that, Joy, you mentioned, which is one of the folks that actually pushed back is one of the best implementers of the model now. I wanted to isolate that, and I wanted to hear more 
from you about how that kind of played out, particularly because this is a consistent theme that oftentimes the folks that do express the greatest amount of apprehension initially are actually some of the best implementers. And I can say this, and she won't mind me calling her out, but one of the first people I personally trained on the model before we were even a nonprofit was Kate Gaskell, our head of teaching and learning, who's the history teacher in the Edutopia video and often a host on this podcast. And in the beginning, she was very apprehensive absolutely pushed back on multiple occasions would come to me and ask me if these different elements would work and if this is even possible. And anyone who got to see her class in action would tell you it is it was one of the best modern classrooms you could think of. And I felt almost bad recruiting her out of the classroom to join the team. Now, I'd love to hear first, Joy, your thoughts on why that can happen. In other words, what is the transformation that happens between sort of pushback and resistance to fantastic implementation? And I'll share my thoughts after that. I think um, from a leadership perspective, it's just giving people space to try what they can with the model and being willing to meet them where they're at. Um, And then as they try the different things, they see the benefit of it. Um, I remember this particular teacher, he he would come to me and say, you know what, I have students who are actually rewatching videos. I have students who are asking me questions that they would have never asked me before. And so he saw some of the benefits of the video learning and the video teaching. And I'll tell you, he put a lot of time into developing those videos and making them the way that he wanted them to be. And so I think the real payoff was when he started to see how it was working for students. And he's also a a data hog. He is collecting data all and analyzing data all the time. He's a math teacher. So he, once he saw how effective it was and the results that he could get, and he saw that students were learning the material and retaining the material, he saw that students were, he had more students who were proficient than he had in the past. And I think that that just helped fuel what he was doing. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And Chris, did you see a similar kind of progression with some of the other educators? And was it similar follow through and that the folks that sometimes would push back would come around? And, and what do you think some of the reasons why they came around are? Because it works is <laughs> the best way to reason to come around. And for us, I think it probably wouldn't have changed so dramatically, except we started the year on remote learning. And then when we did come back, we had several kids who would be out for quarantine and then come back to us and then be out for quarantine. And so it gave everybody a common language and a common way to handle business that allowed students to be successful despite all those interruptions. The success or the the changing of the attitude is really just about having success in in their own rights. Uh, And not everybody's implementing everything. And I think being okay with that has to be part of the process We've got all of our teachers, they're so amazing. They have at least three preps that they do. They they teach at least three different classes. And so to try to do this with that many different focuses, there has to be give and take. But I also like, while there's a lot of autonomy, there, there are goalposts that are commonalities across the school, which I think makes it easier for the students. We, we kind of change the names, uh, in, in modern classroom, you have must do, should do, aspire to do. We do the same three. We just call them essential extension and enrichment. But every classroom uses the same three 
words so students understand what those things are at a at a very inherent level. And then every classroom is is involved in standards-based grading and making sure the grade is aligned with what the student knows. And so those core elements are in every single room, every single period. And so the the icing on the cake may look different, or we may not be able to do everything that we would like to do, but but those essential building blocks are there everywhere. And you know, there's a few things I want to pull out of this that I think is brilliant. So first, I think it's critical for folks to know that the educators that push back on this model sometimes are often pushing back because they're used to fleeting change. And they're skeptical of PD at times because PD oftentimes isn't all that effective. So it's actually a potentially positive indicator when an educator pushes back on PD because it might mean that they just really want to screen it to make sure it's high quality. And, you know, Chris, you had said the people, the reason why people buy in eventually is because it just works, right? So let people try it. Encourage folks to take that risk. And then the second piece is having grace and being understanding with educators who are doing a slow roll in or only going to focus on one prep, right? That's a critical element of this work. Ultimately, you want educators to customize the model to their own unique needs um, and to the unique needs of the students. So part of what we've designed is an approach that has clear guardrails, as you just described, Chris, like goalposts. And it sounds like you all created even more kind of goalposts that were common amongst your colleagues. But ultimately, there's a lot of flexibility within those goalposts. And, you know, we have educators who build instructional video for every lesson. We have educators who build their own instructional videos for 50% of lessons and then find external videos. We have educators who don't even think an instructional video is necessary for every lesson. So this idea that you can kind of create variable versions of the model within these constraints is critical. And it sounds like educators are doing just that in your school. And by setting that tone early on, it makes people feel like it's a little bit more digestible. So it's amazing what you all have just done at the onset. And clearly you all understand teacher needs effectively because you all created the conditions for folks to feel like they could take the risk. You know, oftentimes part of the reason why educators are afraid to do this or build communities, learning communities around this is they're afraid to take those risks and afraid to sort of create kind of tension in the building, but you all did the exact opposite. You made everyone feel like it was digestible and it was okay to do it part of the way and all the way, which I think is fantastic. Now, I want to talk a little bit about sort of what's the level of implementation. Um, And either of you can share this. Chris, if you want to start, like when you say that educators are implementing the model at your school, does that mean that you walk into every single classroom and you're seeing a fully running modern classroom or are you seeing variances implementation uh, you know, and some folks doing it fully and some folks doing it part of the way through. There are definitely varying levels of implementation. Like Joy said, we've got some teachers who are all in in one class prep and then just using the core elements in their other preps. Um, we've got other teachers who are all in all the time and are implementing it with fidelity every single classroom, every single day. Um, and we have others that that say, hey, I'm going to do this, but I also need some whole group discussion that just feels right to me. And so I have days where I pull everybody out of the the approach that we're using with our systems online. And we have a live discussion because that's important to me and to my curriculum. 
I love that. And live those live discussions and whole group discussions are a natural part of the model, right? That's something we actually encourage throughout the course is this idea that you stop sort of the traditional flow of this self-paced learning environment and bring everyone together. So I think that that's fantastic. Joy, can you talk a little bit about, and Chris, feel free to chime in, how it's changed the discussion around teaching and learning at the building? Because I know when I built the first sort of modern classroom learning community, which was me and six of my colleagues at Eastern High School, which is the school in the Edutopia video, that I had kind of brought together and said, hey, uh, you six are the folks who want to learn this model. Let's do this. Um, and I remember we met once a week. There was a modern classrooms project meeting. Didn't have that name because I don't even know if we had come up with the name of the nonprofit yet. And it was just fascinating the types of discussions we were having in this room because it was different from other discussions I had had historically in school buildings and around teaching and learning. Can you talk about some of the shifts you're seeing around the ways that educators are collaborating now that they didn't before prior to the model? I think that it's driven us even further into focusing on mastery and what are the essentials. I know our school district from the top down said this year, just focus on the majors, you know, focus on the things that you absolutely have to teach. And so this kind of approach where you have the essentials, it's like, really, what are the essentials and how do I determine mastery of the essentials and not just pile work on kids and want kids to do more work and more practice and all of that. But what does mastery really look like and how can I get my students to demonstrate mastery in that. We were starting that shift, but I think that doing modern classrooms has really just blown the doors off of that and forced us to go even deeper into our mastery conversations. Yeah, I really like that. And Chris, do you have any thoughts on sort of how your discussions with colleagues have changed now that most of the teachers are implementing at least some version of the model in their classrooms? Kind of like Joyce said, we're a little spoiled in that with being standards-based, I feel like our conversations have always at some level centered around mastery. I love the fact that we just have a common a common measuring stick to talk with each other about. Um, I've had more teachers invite me in outside of formal observations and say, hey, can you watch this video I did? Can you give me feedback on where we're going with that? And I feel like it's opened it up even further. Yeah, you know, that is so interesting. I felt so much more comfortable inviting guests into my classroom when I used this model versus when I taught traditionally because I felt like there was something fragile about engagement when I taught traditionally. It was like I didn't know, you know, if it was going to work today and if the lecture wasn't going to work and then like controlled chaos would look like complete chaos. Something about this model actually maintains a certain level of consistency and it allows you to create sort of an open door style policy with your colleagues and with other students to say, just pop in. There's no harm in doing that. You're not going to interrupt anything unless you sort of cause a scene. And I always find that really powerful and exciting. One thing that I found when we had a community of implementers, and now obviously that community is nationwide, the discussion focused more on engagement and student learning than what I would call sort of superficial indicators of success, like basic attendance numbers or like how many disruptions were in the class. You know, those are the types of things that I think are band-aid discussions, like that don't actually address what matters. Teachers should be in rooms talking about what motivates kids, what we're learning about kids, and what they're actually learning. And too often, if you go into sort of a traditional PLC or faculty meeting, it's actually a lot of fire that your people are putting out. 
And no one's actually digging into the really cool, interesting pedagogical questions. So I always found that after implementing this model, we were having real questions around pedagogy, which I think can be harder to have when folks are teaching traditionally because it's a lot of the lecture didn't go well, people aren't paying attention, how come they're not showing up to class, they didn't do any work, which I just, I think those discussions, while sometimes important and necessary, aren't actually what improves teaching and learning. They're more sort of what makes us, makes kind of the machine just stay afloat, but we want to focus on improvement. So I think that's a really powerful piece. Now, I want to talk about what's next for you all. So I think the two main ideas I'm thinking about here and that I want to hear about is first, how do you all plan to sustain implementation? Do you all feel like it's just going to continue to improve and people are just immersing themselves in there? Or do you feel like you need to create more guardrails and structures to ensure that implementation is going well consistently? You know, what is it that you all plan to focus on with regards to sustaining the model at Renaissance? I think that it's continuing to give teachers lots of time. Again, developing and creating your own videos is very time consuming. And I just keep emphasizing that so that leaders keep finding ways to give teachers time to prep, whether that's using your administrative days, whether that's giving them, instead of having a faculty meeting, giving them an hour after school. Our principal has been really great about understanding the time of this and continuing to give time to work on that and improve that. Um, I think our teachers will continue to refine and improve their videos. I think uh, they're so excited about next year because they have put so much time into this year and developing really great materials that next year is going to be a lot more plug and play for them. And I think it, they're excited about that option and how much better it's going to feel next year. And so, you know, as a teacher, if you can save your plans, if you can make things that you can reuse, it's such a huge time saver for the following year. And I think it's just giving teachers that just-in-time support for whatever they need, helping them find the right tech tools, helping them think through the problems that they're having, even just having as a coach, having a thought partner to say, I, I need to get more discussions in my class. And that's where I went and talked with the teacher. And I'm like, what if you did this? Or what if you did that? One of the areas that I do want to focus on more, and it's just been really challenging in this COVID-19 era is group work. Um, it's been so tricky. It's like, how do you have students work in a group and still maintain all of your contact tracing and social distancing and all of that? So I would like to continue to get more tools into the hands of our teachers for online collaboration, doing doing how to do group work and how to create groups. I don't think we're really capitalizing on that part of the model. And I'd like to kind of to me, that's the edge of growth for most of our teachers is how do you create those groups and do that reteaching and some of that slower instruction for those groups. And I think that will really help the differentiation as well. And I'm hoping that maybe next, you know, later this semester, first semester was so chaotic and so crazy and everybody was just trying to get their feet under them and it was changing every day. And so it was just really hard. You didn't really feel like you could ask a lot of teachers. And I'm hoping that we might find some more consistency or some more comfort so that we can grow in some of those areas of the model a little bit more. I think Joy brings a really good point that consistency is part of what's going to help improve. I think for us, now that we've got educators who've all dappled with it at some level, it's 
um, it's maintaining that as things transition and, and the difficulties get a little bit different and we, we return to a more traditional model, that we're still going to be consistent in supporting a modern classroom. And as we have staff turnover, we're going to, we're going to build new staff up to be able to speak the same language and to understand how that process works because it is effective for our students and it is meaningful. One thing I would add that I also want to do is get more feedback from our students about the model. And I think one of the things I found myself saying often at the beginning of the year was just like you as teachers are learning the model, our students are learning how to be students in this model. They've never had to learn by a video. They don't understand all of the benefits of learning by a video. And sometimes they tend to blow it off. (laughs) Um, But really taking the time to teach our students how to be students in a modern classroom. And what are some of those things and instruction that we can help our students with as well? You know, it, it was sort of a trick question because, and you answered it perfectly, what we have found historically is once folks get the model off the ground and running, the only thing they actually do need is that just-in-time support. They just want thought partners. They want to field questions with other implementers. Um, they want to get that sort of, hey, struggling with motivation for these groups of students. Um, any thoughts? Hey, looking to play around with this pacing tracker. Um, you know, any ideas on how to do this? Or, hey, I, I want to infuse a little bit more whole group projects or, you know, small group projects or collaboration. What are some ideas you have around that? And that's exactly what we like to see. Ultimately, the model allows educators to rethink the way they approach teaching and learning. And you really just don't go back. Instead, you just iterate, refine, reflect, change within the constraints. And you don't actually have to set up these really exhaustive PD structures to do that. So um, I think that's exciting. I am excited to hear what's next for Renaissance. I'm obviously going to be paying close attention to the incredible work you're doing. Chris and Joy, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. It was absolutely wonderful chatting with you both. Thank you so much for having us. It's really great to talk with you. I'm kind of starstruck. So yes, it was really great because I have, I'm one of those people I've loved listening to the podcast and the Facebook group and everything like that. I think those are great tools for teachers. So thank you so much for what you're doing. Yes. Thank you, Kareem. It was great to join you today. Of course. And absolutely wonderful to chat with you both. It's inspiring to hear the story. And remember, everyone, you can obviously access our free course at learn.modernclassrooms.org. And in particular, today's session was about building professional learning communities. And a little known resource at the Modern Classrooms Project is our PLC resources at modernclassrooms.org backslash PLCs. And you can see our PLC resources. So you're, if you're in a similar situation as Joy and Chris, and you are looking to sort of build a learning community, and you want to do it organically, check out those resources. It's totally doable. You have a perfect example of how it can play out here. Continue to reach out with questions. Continue to let us know how we can support you as a community. Chris and Joy, great chatting with you. Bye, everyone. Bye.